So I did wonder about having three readings, but decided to do the first reading a different way. So the first reading is about Moses. So I thought I'd like to check what you remember about Moses, and I'm hoping you talk to me and give me answers. What do you remember about Moses? In the bulrushes. What was he doing in the bulrushes? It did take him 40 years to do something. We're about to find out what it is. Yeah, it did take him 40 years to listen to Jesus. You're round about right there. Took me, this took me longer. He was trying to... F <laughs> yeah, he was trying to find the promised land. He did. He was a naughty boy, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he ran away after that. Yeah, he thought the Pharaoh wouldn't be very happy. Which is why it took him a long time to go back, you see, because God wanted him to go back. And I, you see, God didn't like the way the Israelites were being treated. So he says to Moses, come on, lad, I want you to go and have a word with the Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. I used to do godly play. And it was, let my people go, you know. And uh, he kept saying, oh, no, I don't think I've got the skill to do that. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Burning bush. Yeah, sure. Ten Commandments. He, do you know he was involved in a lot, wasn't he? Yeah. He sure was. Pardon? Yeah. Yeah. He did. He did. And so the story goes on. So it starts with him. It starts with him right at the beginning. In a time when the... The pharaohs were, were very worried, really, that the, the, um, there was just, the slaves were just um, having too many children. They were growing too great in number, and they thought that this was trouble. So, and I know you remember all that, the children's part of the story, as it were, where we have Moses in the basket, um, but before he gets into the basket, we have the midwives who are told, let the girls live, but not the boys. And uh, they put, put in, uh, you know, the, the, yeah, well, we'll come back to the midwives. Okay, we'll come back to them. So thank you, Lord, for the word as we remember it. Um, when I was thinking about looking at today, I, I, the phrase, you know, what do we do now? What should we do now? Was in my mind and, uh, and around. And, and with this particular passage of Moses, you've got that question asked, I think, a number of times. So, you know, the midwives, given this instruction that they knew wasn't right, because it says, if you read in the Bible, it says they feared God. So they knew it wasn't right, and they had to asked themselves the question, what now? And they came up with this amazing story um, that the women delivered before they got there. So there we go. Um, and, and they got round that, didn't they? And then Moses' mom, I mean, 
There are a few babies in this congregation. It's not easy keeping babies quiet, is it? So it says three months, but let's be a bit flexible on our timing. So um, when this baby, who wasn't named at that point, uh, you know, the mum had to say, well, what should I do now? I've, I've hid him for this long, but I can't hide him any longer. And so that's when we have the basket, and the basket is coated in a waterproofing substance, depends which version you read, and uh, launched out onto the river. And who finds him? Yeah, Pharaoh's daughter, yeah. And so she decides to bring him up in the court. She had to ask herself, what do I do now? Because I reckon that lass wasn't daft. You know? She had to answer that. And so Pharaoh grows, So Moses grows up in the Pharaoh's court, uh, and all is well, until he sees um, the Israelites, the slaves, being treated badly. And he kills the man who was treating them badly. And then he thinks, oh no, I'm in trouble. And he ran away. Um, and then God comes on the scene and asks him to do this amazing work. And he takes quite a while, doesn't he? But you know, in the end, Moses had to say, as he was listening to God, what should I do now? And what he did was he decided to follow God's will and God's way. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you as an imperfect people. We often take the easy road rather than the right road. And so we pray your forgiveness on us when we follow the crowd because we're afraid to stand out and follow our conscience. Forgive us when we hide behind the crowd because we're afraid to show our face and speak up for what is right. Forgive us when we avoid the crowd because we're afraid to join in their protest and the costs that might involve. Forgive us when we swim in the crowd because we're afraid to show our hand and share what we have with those in need. Lord, we're an imperfect people. And so now we bring before you anything that's going to get in the way of us worshipping you this morning. Rest assured of the forgiveness of the one who gave of himself and taught us how to share our bread. And words from Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Amen. And those words, Brian, I had wrote that verse down before you. Chose, do not be afraid. As a song later on. And so it just seems so God-given when I saw it was there. Our first reading is John 6, verses 1 to 15. 
Jesus feeds the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed too far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish, Pas Jewish Passover fe festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for those people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, I would take more than half a year, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Philip, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go amongst so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barely loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Amen. Just before I start, there are some sheets here. There's, there's actually some books that uh, I think Vanda might have made up, um, which have things that children can do during the summer. But I've brought some sheets as well that relate to the passages we're hearing today. So we've got a small bread and fishes, a large basket, um, loaves to colour in, fishes, colour by letter, I had to work out with my glasses, it was a B and not an eight. Um, and I filled the missing words in. So if anybody wants to do those, they're welcome. And if adults do them, well, that's fine, but you've got to listen as well. There we go. But feel free to uh, go over there. Through the written word and the spoken word, may your living word be known. Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. One of the amazing qualities I find about the Bible is that the more we read passages, the more we 
get deeper understandings and new understandings come to us. Uh, and that can be helped by reading the same passage in maybe different versions. Those of you who have the Bible apps can easily switch from one version to another and, and see, uh, uh, see how, how different they're written um, because each of the authors who, who wrote the Gospels had... Um, they looked with their own eyes, so they write their stories differently. Um, and sometimes it helps if a passage appears in more than one gospel to read it in the different gospels so that you can see the understanding that way um, and deepen the understanding. Now, this passage is special in many ways, but one of the ways it's special is that the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle to appear in all four of the Gospels. And the fourth Gospel, the book of John, um, well, often we take, when we look at passages, we take them out of context. And that's just part of how it is when we're doing services. But when you look at the book of John, right at the beginning it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, John is nailing his colors to the mast, as it were, right at the beginning of the gospel. And what he's saying is that to him, Jesus was more than a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet, Jesus was the one that they were waiting for. Jesus is the one we're waiting for. And John writes that right at the beginning. And then as he continues writing through the gospel, he shows us signs that prove what he said. And that's quite important. John's gospel is one that shows many signs. Uh, and it also has these famous I am words that we will um, hear later. So Jesus is the word come among us. One of the ways to look at a passage is to look at the different people in it and how they've reacted or how they are. So if we begin with the central character of Jesus himself, um, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have the disciples coming to Jesus to tell him to send the crowd away. You know, they're saying, they're getting hungry, you need to send the crowd away so that they can get food. And Jesus says to them, well, you give them something to eat. So the initiative begins with the disciples and ends with them as well. But in John's gospel, you got a very different take on what happened. Here you've got Jesus, and he sees the crowd. He identifies their need, shown here as hunger. He sees that. And then he prompts the disciples to ask by saying, where are we to buy bread for these people? What are we going to do? And it's a question that we're told Jesus already has the answer to. You know, it says he's doing it to test them. 
Jesus is in control of the situation. Even what seems like an impossible situation of feeding 5,000 people, 5,000 Israelites. And I'd like you to remember that. And there's a precedent which he begins to mention later on. He speaks, one of the reasons um, we looked at Moses, and this particular bit didn't come out, but you'll all know it. Um, We mentioned the particular journey, the exodus, the long walk in the desert. And of course, they're out of slavery and they're going through the desert and they're like many, many people. The grass is always greener on the other side. At least when they were in slavery, they had food. Now they're hungry. And Moses talks to God about this, and God showers them with manna, the bread of heaven, bread that was given to them to sustain them and to strengthen them. And now, in the same way, you've got Jesus. And Jesus is the divine provider of nourishment that gives life and strength to those 5,000 people. And of course, in turn to us. So let's hear that gospel reading continue. The second reading is John chapter 6, verses 22 to 35. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from the Tiberias, then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Jesus, the bread of life. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what signs then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty.
So we've got a passage, and um, again, if you look at its setting, it's set close to Passover time. So Passover is the time when the Jewish people remember that the children of Israel left slavery behind them and were led out of Egypt by Moses over 3,000 years ago. And another link to Passover is that Jesus was crucified as Passover lambs were being slaughtered. Jesus gave his life for the world at Passover time. And it's a sacrifice that we remember every time we come to communion. In fact, I'll be using that um, last verse that Fiona read as my opening words for communion. It's the words we remember as we think about, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. So John's gospel, where you've got the feeding of 5,000, I do like it when they say 5,000 men, because they never counted the women and children, did they? That's why I say somewhere around that number. Um, so it's a sign that points us specifically to communion. You know, when I looked and I thought, what should I do the service on? And I looked at what the readings were, and it's a communion service. I thought, it has to be these readings I use. It does point us to communion and the way Jesus nourishes us month by month. Those, of, those denominations who take communion weekly, week by week, as we feed on the sacramental bread. So if we look at the second character in the story, that little boy um, with the five barley loaves and two fish. Now, I don't know whether you know, but barley loaves were the food of the poor. They were far cheaper than the wheat alternative. And the fish were probably not fresh fish. They were probably dried or pickled um, in, in some way. So the offering was an offering of the poor. You know, you'll remember the widow's mite. She gave all she had. It was very small, but she gave all she had. Well, you've got the same thing happening here. You've got a little boy who's saying, here's my, here's my offering. It's all I've got, but it's what I'm offering. And just think then about what happened in that passage. You know, the people were asked to sit down. And then Jesus took the loaves. And when he'd given thanks, he distributed them. He got people to give them out. He took all the boy had to offer. And then he transformed that offering so that we're all fed. That there was more than enough. And with that transforming grace of Jesus, even our poorest offerings can become something extraordinary. That's what Jesus, our Savior, can do. Jesus can transform what we bring. And that has immediate relevance to us this morning. Because at every communion service, we come not just to be fed, but to offer. Not just 
to receive, but to give. And what we offer? Well, we offer our life and our work. And as you heard me pray over the offerings, it's symbolized in the offering of money and the offering of bread. So if we look at the third character, well, actually, it's a group. If we look at the crowd, the crowds that gathered to hear Jesus, well, they were hungry in a physical way, but they were also hungry in a spiritual way because they were hungry for freedom. Don't forget that this was a group of people under Roman occupation. They came to listen to Jesus because they were searching for someone to bring them hope and freedom. And Jesus taught them. He fed them. And they had some satisfaction and some hope. And what did they then try to do? They tried to capture Jesus and make him their king. But you know, for Jesus, his kingdom wasn't of this world. They were looking at it from their very narrow perspective of what they needed, of what they wanted. And sadly, it's something that we can almost all do at one time or another. It's a danger in every generation, missing the point. So Jesus took himself away. And the next day, the crowds come back and they continue to question Jesus. Now, I only went to verse 35, but I encourage you to read further. Because what happens is when they don't get what they want by their eyes, then they start to doubt this Jesus. They start to doubt him. And they say, hang on. Or words to that effect. Hang on. Isn't he just the son of Joseph? Carpenter? We got this wrong. So let's think back over the ground we've covered. Think about how God used Moses how he asked him to do his will, to enter into that deeper relationship with him, to trust him. It was scary. Moses reckoned he wouldn't be able to persuade the Pharaoh. He questioned his ability, but he found out that with God's help, God's will was done. God gave him what he needed. The disciples didn't think that what the young boy brought would be enough to feed the people. And they found that Jesus can multiply what we bring, can multiply what we offer, and use it to change lives. But the boy trusted that what he brought was worth offering. And then there's a story of the crowd of people who were fed, people not unlike us, no questions asked. No prerequisites demanded. No standards of holiness to be met first. We come together week by week to learn about Jesus, month by month, to feast at the Lord's table. You know, 
It's not our table. It's the Lord's table. To feast on the bread of life, Jesus, the bread of life. And all who share in this feast, all who come together, are companions of Christ. That's what it means to be a follower. We don't have to be worthy or good. We just need to want to follow Jesus. And so faced with God's call, Moses had a choice. Jesus says, where are we to get bread for all these people? People just like us. Well, the boy had a choice. The crowd had a choice. The disciples had a choice. And so do we, every day, to share in this picnic to trust God's abundance, to enter into that deeper relationship with Jesus. And what does it take to go ahead and offer what you have when you reckon it won't be enough? Well, remember the young boy and that basket of food. The boy wasn't acting out of fear. The boy was stepping out in faith. And trust, you could say, and hope. The question that probably guided him wasn't what use is the little I have, but what am I called to give? And God, and if God says to you, what have you to offer? You know, what have each and every one of you to offer? And all you can say is very little. I doubt it's of any use at all, but here it is anyway. Here I am anyway. Then you'll find that God replies, trust in me, I can work with that. And God will use what you bring to bless the world. I speak as one who's been there saying what I have is of no use and finding that God provides. Just want to read you some words from Ephesians 3, starting at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You are the body of Christ. I give thanks for you and your witness in this place. May God strengthen you as you face the challenges of this day and age. Amen.